0: Okay, bismillahirrahmanirrahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wassalat wassalam ala abdillahi wa rasulih, nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, amma ba So I hope the exam wasn't too torturous for you guys inshallah Um, Those of you who are still finishing, you have another 15 minutes to finish inshallah Uh, So take your time what we're just trying to do is inshallah make use of our time as much as we can So we're going to start a new subject inside of this module Which is the module relating to the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa It was my intention originally For this to be the first subject Out of the three subjects in this module But when Ustad Abdurrahman came, we swapped things around. And inshallah, it doesn't hurt. But what we're going to be talking about in this next four weeks, inshallah ta'ala, is relating to the status and the preservation of the Sunnah. The status and the preservation of the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa wa and this for me is an extremely extremely important topic because in reality this is the topic that fulfills the meaning of muhammadur rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and it is a topic that even though it is within the module relating to the sunnah, it's a topic that has a strong overlap with aqeedah as well. Because you can barely find a group from the groups of the people of innovation except that the reason and the heart of the innovation that they have, has some connection to their turning away from the sunnah of the Prophet or from his hadith to a greater or a lesser extent and this will become clear as we study this issue and in fact one of the biggest challenges that we deal with today and maybe people don't realize how big of a challenge it is, are the doubts and the confusion that are spread to our kids, uh, encouraging them towards things like atheism, and uh, towards leaving the religion of Islam. And this is a huge problem. This is a, a pandemic all over the world. Again, the heart of these issues relate to the sunnah of the Prophet. ﷺ. And that is why the number of deviant groups that argue about the Qur'an or the validity of the Quran is almost non existent or very small. Rather, the thing that differentiates people is the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So recognizing its status and being confident in its preservation are two essential things that not only protect you from innovation and its people, but in reality protect your Islam from the doubts of the mushrikeen and the atheists and those similar to them who try to cause doubts in people's heart about Islam. So I think it's an essential topic for us to cover. And we're going to cover it from many different aspects. Broadly, we want to look at two things. We want to understand the status and value of the sunnah. And why is the sunnah important? And we want to understand the preservation of the sunnah. We want to be able to answer confidently to a person who says to us, The sunnah has not been preserved. The sunnah has not been accurately recorded. So we want to do two things in this four weeks. We want to be able to understand the status and the value of the sunnah. And we want to be able to understand the preservation of the sunnah. And I've talked about this before in lectures here and there and dipped into it. We want to go into it in some detail. And actually these two topics are intertwined. Because once you know the status of the sunnah in Islam, i.e. once you know the value that the sunnah had in the, in the eyes of the Sahaba, you cannot doubt that it was preserved. Even though there are extra, extra evidences for that. I and mean we can give more evidences than just the status of the sunnah. But when you see, for example... That Anas ibn Malik Or Abdullah ibn Umar Was so scared to even mention a single hadith from the Prophet Out of a fear of making a mistake in even one word That a man said I sat with Abdullah ibn Umar for one year And I never heard a single hadith from him Because he was so scared that he would make a mistake and that Anas, when he would say a hadith, afterwards he would say, kama qala Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam." Or that's it's like that, or it was that's as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said. He was so scared that he would say this hadith in the wrong way, and that some of them would cut off from their own children because they saw them go against a single tiny element of the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So when we understand the status of the sunnah in their eyes, we also learn a lot about the preservation of the sunnah. When we learn that, for example, Umar, and we're going to come to these narrations, that Umar ibn al-Khattab, would say to one of the companions, if you don't bring me a witness for this hadith, I'm going to do this to you and that to you. In order to scare the people into making sure that every single word that they narrated from the Prophet ﷺ was word for word as it is. And then we're going to look at it from the tabi'een and the generation after them, so that we don't get this idea that the first time that somebody ever came up with a concept of writing down hadith was 200 years after the hijrah or something like that. Going to talk about how the sunnah was written, how it was collected, how it was checked and verified, and ultimately how valuable it is to us and how essential it is to us as Muslims. So we should start, I guess, by defining the sunnah. And the sunnah linguistically Generally the scholars of language, they say the word sunnah, it means a seerah wa It means the seerah of someone. And what they do in their life. Their biography. You know, their, their life history. Or it means a-tariqah, a way of doing something. So, when we say, Sunnatullah, the Sunnah of Allah, this is the second meaning, and the way that Allah does things. Walan li Sunnati You will not find from the Sunnah of Allah any deviation, any, anything that goes away. I and mean, Allah has Sunan; He has set ways that things are done. That when a people disobey him, he opens up the dunya for them. And he gives them everything they want until they have forgotten him completely, and then he takes them and he takes their life in that situation. This is the sunnah of Allah Azza wa Jal. The way that Allah does things. And that has been the sunnah of Allah since the earliest of creating Bani Adam that Allah Azzawajal has this sunnah, this way of doing things and we also use the sunnah as we said the first definition as a person's life, a person's biography or a person's history or a person's way of doing things some of the scholars added something and said that the sunnah can be something that you begin like a tradition that you begin and actually that's entered into the first two, that's a part of the part of the, the meaning of seerah. But you can add it if you want as a third one. That a tradition that you begin. Like the statement of the Prophet Sunna sunnatan hasana to the end of the hadith. Whoever implements a sunnah hasana. And whoever starts off a good thing, starts off a good action, then you will have the reward of it and the reward of all those who act upon it. And as a side point of benefit, this is not a bid'ah, yani any sunnah hasana. Any yani sunnah hasana doesn't enter into the topic of bid'ah at all. Because this is not something new he's doing in the religion that's never been done before. This is a bid'ah. Yani any bid'ah is Something which has no, uh, an act of worship which has no precedent. This is not an act of worship that has no precedent. Yani he gives charity in front of everyone. Charity is already part of Islam. He gives it in front of everyone and then the other people come and give charity after him. So he started a sunnah hasana. He started a good example. He gave a good example of how to do something. Man sanna fil islami sunnatan hasana. and we also have to note on the topic of the linguistic meaning of sunnah that it doesn't have to be good the word sunnah doesn't have to be something good of course when we use it with regard to allah جل, with regard to the prophet sallallahu alaihi that's different but linguistically a sunnah can be good or it can be bad and that's why in the hadith the prophet sallallahu alaihi talked about sunnatun hasana and A sunnah which is sayyya, an evil sunnah, an evil example. So you can have sunnah can be used for something good, it can be used for something bad. In Islam, when we talk about the word sunnah, we have a general meaning and a specific meaning. So I'm gonna have give, given you three separate meanings. Now the first one, linguistic, which is sirah at tariqa, someone's life history or biography, and the way people do things and you know something that you start. And this is linguistic. Then I'm gonna give you a general definition in Islam. Then we're gonna talk about several specific definitions in Islam. Generally, the sunnah. Is the complete guidance of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. When we use the word sunnah in a general sense, not in fiqh, not in aqeedah not in hadith, not in Mustalah al Hadith, not in Usul al Fiqh, we use it just in a general sense. We mean a general term for the comprehensive guidance of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The whole thing, the whole everything that he brought, and each set of scholars have a specific definition for the word sunnah. So, when the scholars of Aqeedah use the word sunnah, what do they mean? They mean sunnah as the opposite of bid'ah. They say "fulanun ala sunnah." So-and-so is on the sunnah. وَفُلَانٌ عَلَى الْبِدْعَةِ And so-and-so is upon innovation. So when you hear the scholars of Aqeedah use the word sunnah, in an aqeedah sense, they mean sunnah being the opposite of bid'ah. So they say, so-and-so is upon the sunnah. And from this is the term, so-and-so is sunni. Or as we say in English, Sunni and so-and-so is Sunni and so-and-so is Bid'i and so-and-so is Sunni and he's a person who follows the Sunnah and his Aqeedah is Aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah he's Sunni and so-and-so is Bid'i and his Aqeedah is the Aqeedah of Ahl Bid'ah the people of innovation this is in the scholars of Aqeedah and the scholars of The scholars of usul or the scholars... Let's say say more, we can leave the scholars of usul for a while. In fiqh. In fiqh. And this is kind of... I never know whether to put this in fiqh or usul. But it's more likely to be... You're more likely to find it in books of fiqh. That they will use the word sunnah to mean al-mandub. We did in al-warakat. In sharh al-warakat. Al-mandub. The things that you are requested to do, but the request is not obligatory. And the things that you are commanded to do in a way that is not obligatory. Like praying to raka'ah after maghrib or something like that. The any the mustahab. The scholars of fiqh will often use this as the word sunnah And we do that also we, we also do that We will say Pray your sunnah prayers Pray your sunnah prayers Meaning those prayers that are not Fard They are not wajib upon you Pray your sunnah prayers Or someone might say Is it sunnah or is it wajib? The proper term for that is mandub or mustahab. Is it mustahab or is it wajib? Is it mandub or is it wajib? But it may be that people use this term, and especially in books of fiqh you may hear this term. It's a sunnah, meaning it's not fard. As for the scholars of hadith, they have a different understanding of the word sunnah. They say, ما أثر, على النبي, ما أثر عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من قول أو فعل أو تقرير أو, تقرير أو صفة خلقية أو خلقية That which is narrated from the Prophet صلى وسلم, From his speech, his action, his approvals And his physical description and the description of his personality so this is according to the scholars of hadith. It's a big difference from the others. Each of them are, are different from the other one. So the scholars of hadith, they said, that which is reported from the Prophet or narrated from the Prophet wasallam from his speech, his actions, his approval, and his description, both his physical description and the description of his, personality so this is this is a sunnah and the scholars of usul al-fiqh uh, they have a similar definition but their definition is slightly different in the sense that they don't put the description of the prophet sallallahu alaihi in there they say that which is reported from the prophet sallallahu from his statements and actions and approvals which is suitable to be an evidence for an Islamic ruling because what they're interested in is something which can be used as an evidence for hukum shar'i, not something which for example is just you know the Prophet his manners were like the Qur'an this is not an evidence for a hukum shari. It's not it doesn't make something halal or haram or mandoob or mubah or makruh. It doesn't change the, it doesn't establish a ruling. So for them they are interested in the statements and actions and approvals of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi that are evidence or that can be used as an evidence for an islamic ruling and so on but these are not i don't want you you don't need to memorize all of these but just the idea is to understand that the word sunnah can be used in different ways by different people depending on the context that they are speaking and it doesn't mean that every time you open a book of aqeedah the word sunnah is going to be used as the opposite to the word bid'ah why? Because they may be talking about a hadith. And say this hadith is from the sunnah. And so now he's talking in the sense of hadith. So we go back to the definition of the scholars of hadith. And that which is narrated from the Prophet ﷺ from his statements and actions and approvals and his description. Whether it's a description physical or of his person- physical description or description of his personality. Or they may say the miswak. you may hear them say something like The siwak is from the sunnah From the general guidance of the Prophet ﷺ Or from those things that are narrated for him And so on So you have to put the statement into the right context To understand In what way the person meant it Because it means different things for For different people Now what we want to do Is to cover if we can, and some of the most important things relating to, uh, or the importance of studying the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the importance of studying the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi The first thing is, as we said it gives you or it fulfills for you the meaning of Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because the reality is that you cannot testify that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the messenger of Allah without following his sunnah. Without studying it and without implementing it. So there is no way to achieve the meaning that Muhammad wasallam is the messenger of Allah without his sunnah. So if somebody were to say that I believe that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah but I don't believe in his sunnah. The reality is, they would not be able to fulfill the meaning of the shahada. The second is that following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi studying it and following it and realizing its status, it brings us the love of Allah azza As Allah subhanahu wa taala said in Surah Ali Imran, ayah number. 31 قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبُكُمُ اللَّهَ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ Say if you really love Allah then follow me Allah will love you and forgive you your sins So Allah Azza wa placed in this ayah two virtues in following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu The first is that it will bring you the love of Allah. It will make you from among the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It will bring you the love of Allah. And it will bring you forgiveness for your sins. And from the ayat of the Qur'an that indicate the status of the sunnah, is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah al-A'raf. Ayah number one hundred and fifty-eight. Follow him so that you may be guided. Follow him so you may be guided. So Allah made your guidance dependent upon following the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu from this is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal in uh, Surah an nur Ayah number sixty-three. فَلْيَحْذَرَ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْتُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةٌ أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Let them take a warning. Those people who go against his command, lest they be afflicted by a trial or a painful punishment meaning that those people who go against the Sunnah they are at risk of being put to a trial one of the scholars of tafsir from among the companions said that the fitna is shirk that they will be put into shirk they will be put into making a partner with Allah Or be given a painful punishment For going against the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam All of these ayat And there are many many that we can talk about We're going to give some more here in the next section All of them tell us the importance of the sunnah in Islam And in reality when we understand this issue We see that the importance of the sunnah is repeated in the Qur'an Many hundreds, hundreds of times It's not just repeated in one place or two places It's repeated again and again And not just in one way Sometimes it's telling you, follow the Prophet Wasallam. Sometimes it's telling you, don't disobey him Sometimes it's giving you a reward Allah will love you and forgive your sins. Sometimes it's giving you a warning of a punishment. And again, you know you have commands to take the Sunnah, commands to follow the Sunnah, commands to believe in the Prophet and what he was sent down with, and so and so on and so forth. You have the statement, in the beginning of Surah Al Najm, that he doesn't speak from his own desires, it is only a revelation that's revealed. Okay, what do we take from all of this? If the Quran has a topic in it or a subject in it that is repeated again and again in multiple different ways, The reason it is repeated again and again in multiple different ways is because of the importance of that subject. And from this, we also take a benefit that those people who reject the Sunnah in whole or in part are in reality rejecting the Quran. Those people who reject the Sunnah in whole or in part. Those people who say I mean, they reject the Sunnah or most of the Sunnah, in reality, they are rejecting the commands of the Quran because the Quran repeatedly tells us to follow the Sunnah. As we said, uh, Surah uh, An Najm, ayah number uh, three to four: "Wama 'an al-hawa And the statement of Allah Azzawajal In Surah An-Nahl Ayah number 44 وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرِ لِتُبَيَّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ We have sent down to you the remembrance To explain to the people What was revealed to them And so they might Take thought. We have sent down to you the dhikr to explain the revelation. So this is the this is what should from the ayah. What is the what is the, the argument or how do we explain the ayah? We have sent down to you the remembrance to explain the revelation. It's clear in the ayah that the remembrance is not the revelation. Because the revelation is what is being explained Manuzila ilehim that That which was revealed to them This is the Qur'an And the remembrance which explains the Qur'an is the Sunnah We have sent down to you the remembrance To explain to the people what was revealed to them What was sent down to them And so they may take thought and the statement of Allah جل, uh, in Surah Al Hashar, as we said, ayah number seven, in Allah al Whatever the Messenger gives you, take it, and whatever he forbids you from, abstain from it. And fear Allah. Indeed, Allah is severe in punishment. Severe in punishment for the one who Turns away from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and Allah azza said in uh, in Surah Al-Nisa, ayah number 65, "Fala وَرَبِّكَ la yu'minuna hatta thumma la fi anfusihim qadayta wa so know by your Lord they do not believe until they make you a judge in that which they differ among themselves in. Then they don't find in themselves any objection to what you have decided, and they submit with complete submission. And Allah said, La yuminun." they don't believe, they don't have Iman until they accept. What the Prophet ﷺ decides فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Until they make you a judge in that which they differ among And then they don't find Not only do they make him a judge But they don't find any objection They don't find any haraj They don't say in themselves Oh I'm not happy with that وَيُسَلِّمُوا taslima, And they submit with complete submission So three things Allah mentioned one after the other they make the Prophet ﷺ a judge. And they don't find any objection to his decision. And they submit with complete submission. And we find similar, and we could go on from the Quran with many ayat. But we find similar statements from the Sunnah of the Prophet. ﷺ. So in the Sunan of Abi Dawood and others, from the hadith of Abu Rafi' the servant of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi sallam that he said, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi said, لَا أحدكم عَلَىٰ أريكته. يَأْتِيهِ أَمْرٌ مِمَّا لَا مَا وَجَدَنَا فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ اتبعنا. I would not wish to find any one of you reclining on his arika, yani on his couch, on his bed. When there comes to him a command that I commanded or forbade. So he says, I don't know anything about this. What I find in the Quran, I follow. And the Prophet is warning that there will come a people who will be lying down and reclining you know, on their couch. Saying, whatever we find in the Qur'an, we follow. Don't tell us about the sunnah. What we find in the Qur'an, we follow. The Prophet ﷺ forbade them from this. And in the hadith, which is also narrated by Abu Dawood and others, and at Tirmidhi, from the hadith of al Mikdam ibn Ma'di Karib, رضي الله تعالى عن, the Messenger of Allah sallam said, أَلَا إِنِّي أُوْتِيتُ الْقُرْآنُ وَمِثْلُهُ مَعَهُ Indeed, I have been given the Qur'an and the same as it, or equal to it, with it. وَمِثْلُهُ <inaudible> مَعَهُ I've been given the Qur'an and something similar to it along with it. أَلَا يُوشَكُ رَجُلٌ شَبْعَانٌ عَلَىٰ أَرِيكَتِهِ يَكُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ بِهَاذَا الْقُرْآنِ فَمَا وَجَدْتُمْ فِيهِ مِنْ حَلَالٍ فَأَحِلُّوا وَمَا وَجَدْتُمْ فِيهِ مِنْ حَرَامٍ فَحَرِّمُوا أَلَا وَإِنَّمَا حَرَّمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَمَا حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ Indeed, I have given the Qur'an and something similar to it with it. Indeed, I fear that it will come a time when there is a man who is lying and he is full, he's filled up his stomach. Reclining on his bed, on his couch, and then he says to the people, al-Qur'an," and he just ignore the Sunnah, stick to this Qur'an. Whatever you find that is in it that is halal, make it halal, and whatever you find in it that is haram, make it haram. The Prophet ﷺ said, "And indeed, what the Messenger of Allah made haram is exactly like what Allah made haram." What the Messenger ﷺ made haram is exactly like what Allah made haram. He doesn't speak from his own desire. The Sunnah that is something is made haram in the Sunnah, it is the same as something being made haram in the Quran. And from the Hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah, رضي الله تعالى, عنهما narrated by al-Khatib al baghdadi the speaker, the speaker, in which he said the the Messenger the Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, speaker, the speaker, there will come to him a hadith from one of my hadith. And he is reclining on his on his couch or his bed. And he says, Leave this. We don't want to hear these hadith. What we find in the book of Allah we follow. And from the hadith of Al irbab Nusaria Radiallahu Ta'ala an. The hadith which is narrated by Abu Dawud and at tirmidhi in which he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, I command you to have taqwa of Allah and to obey your ruler, to hear and obey your ruler. وَإِنْ عَبْدًا حَبَشِيًّا even if he is an Abyssinian slave فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ يَعِشْ مِنْكُمْ فَسَيَرَ اَخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا for whoever lives a long time among you is going to see a great deal of differing فَعَلَيْكُمْ sunnati, so stick to my sunnah وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الْمَهْدِيِّينِ الْرَاشِدِينِ and the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa تَمَسَّكُ بِهَا Hold firm to it. وَعَضُّوا Bin بِالنَّوَاجِذٍ And bite onto it with your molar teeth. wa وَمُحْدَثَاتِ umur, And stay away from the newly invented things, newly introduced practices. فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ Because every newly invented practice is an innovation and every innovation is misguidance. And we conclude, and even though there are many, many ahadith in the sunnah about this, we just want to give some examples. We conclude with some of the statements of the salaf, the early generations regarding the following of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wa And inshallah, there will be more of these coming throughout the classes, but just a few I wanted to pick. One is the famous statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas, رضي الله when he came to a people and he told them a hadith and they said, but Abu Bakr said and Umar said, Abu Bakr said something different and he told them a hadith and they said, Abu Bakr said something different. He said, I think that stones are about to be pelted upon you from the heavens. That I say to you, Qala Rasulullah I say to you the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said And you say to me Qala Abu Bakr and Umar Abu Bakr said and Umar said Abdullah ibn Abbas understood The punishment of Allah is about to descend upon you from the heavens Because you follow Abu Bakr and Umar Instead of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa In one hadith In one hadith One single hadith Not in the whole sunnah that you follow One imam or one sheikh In one hadith And he said I fear that the stones Are about to be pelted upon you From the heavens Because I say to you The messenger of Allah said And you say to me Abu Bakr said and Umar said And similar narrations are reported From Abdullah ibn Umar That someone said to him Your father said this and he said something similar. He became furious with him. That I'm saying to you, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, and you're telling me what my father said. This is how they considered the Sunnah to be, the importance and status of the Sunnah in their eyes. But some of the statements of the early generations on this topic of the fact that the Sunnah goes with the Quran, from the statement of Al Hassan Al Basri that he reported that Imran ibn al-Husayn was sitting and some of his companions were with him then a man from among the people said لا تحدثون الا Quran. بالقرآن don't tell us something except from the Qur'an and a man came to Imran ibn al-Husayn he said just tell us only from the Qur'an we don't want to hear something from the sunnah, stop telling us hadith, just tell us from the Quran. He said, come here. So the man was brought near. He said, what do you think if you and your companions were entrusted only to the Quran, and the only thing you had is the Quran, would you find in it that the dhuhr prayer is four rakah, and the asr prayer is four rakah, and maghrib is three rakah, in which you read aloud in the first two? What do you think? If you and your companions had nothing but the Quran, would you find the Tawaf is seven times? And would you find the number of Tawaf between Safa and Marwa? Then he said, Ay qaum, my people, khudu anna fa inakum wallahi illa taf'alu. He said, O oh my people, take from us. Because, wallahi, if you do not take hadith from us, you will be misguided. And they used to consider the one who takes the Quran alone to be misguided. These are the companions of the Prophet. The one who takes the Quran alone, he is dalun mudil. He is misguided and he is misguiding other people. Because he has not took the Qur'an in the way that Allah azzawajal commanded it to be taken. Rather he's taken it according to his desires. Whatever he finds that he thinks is right, he takes it. But he hasn't taken it in the understanding of the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi And Muhammad ibn Kathir narrates from Al-Awza'i, from Hassan ibn Atiyah. That he said, Jibreel used to come down to the Prophet ﷺ with the Sunnah like he used to come down with the Qur'an. So don't think that Jibreel only came down giving the Qur'an. Jibreel used to descend with the Sunnah like he used to descend with the Qur'an. And from Ayyub al that a man said to al-Mutarrif ibn Abdullah ibn he said, Do not speak to us with anything except what is in the Quran. So Mutarb said to him, By Allah we do not want a replacement for the Quran. Inna wallahi Wala Nuridu huwa Alamu bil minna. He said, We do not want a replacement for the Quran, wallah. But we want the explanation of the one who knows more about the Qur'an than us. And this is the essence of it. This is the essence of this issue. That we don't want a replacement for the Qur'an. But we want the tafsir of the person who knew what the Qur'an meant. And that is why we take the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And from Al-Auza'i, again that he said that Ayyub said, if a man... If you say to if you speak to a man about a sunnah about the sunnah and he says to you, Leave this and tell us from the Quran, know that he is dalun Mudil. Know that he is misguided and misguiding others. If you say to a man a hadith and he says to me, Don't tell me a hadith, tell me the Quran, know that he is misguided and misguiding others. And Al awzai al Makhulu and Yahya ibn Abi Kathir and others they used to say the Qur'an needs the sunnah more than the sunnah needs the Qur'an and the sunnah is decisive over the Qur'an and the Qur'an is not decisive over the sunnah what do they mean by that? by this they mean that the, the first statement the sunnah is the Qur'an is in more need of the sunnah than the sunnah is in need of the Qur'an in reality, the sunnah contains the Qur'an. When you look at the sunnah, it, the Prophet it tells you an ayah came down and the Prophet did this and this and this. As for the Qur'an, it doesn't contain the sunnah. So the Qur'an says, وَأَقِيمُ salat, <الصلاة> But it doesn't tell you how to pray. The sunnah tells you how to pray and within the sunnah is that when the ayah was revealed about the prayer like this and this and this, we did this and this and this. So in this case, the sunnah, needs, the sunnah doesn't need the Qur'an as much as the Qur'an needs the sunnah. And as for the statement that the sunnah is decisive over the Qur'an, the meaning of this is that generally the Qur'an is mujmal in general. The Qur'an is general and unspecific. And the sunnah is generally decisive and specific. So the Qur'an says, For example, أَقِمِ الصَّلَا لِدُولُوكِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ وَقُرْآنِ الْفَجْرِ وَقُرْآنِ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا In surah al-Isra Perform the prayer from the time of the sun being in the middle of the sky until the middle of the night and the fajr prayer Indeed the fajr prayer is witnessed by the angels But the details in between that of when to pray zuhr and when to pray asr and when to pray maghrib and when to pray isha The sunnah is the one that tells us those decisively As for the Qur'an, it tells us them generally But the sunnah tells us decisively, like you can't argue with it It's like, pray zuhr at this time, pray asr at this time, pray maghrib at this time As for the Qur'an, it says Perform the prayer from the middle of the day until the night time. And then perform the fajr prayer. So the sunnah gives us the detail. Al-Imam Ahmad didn't used to like this statement that those other scholars made. It's not that he didn't like it. He said, I don't find it in myself to say it. imam Ahmed was asked about this statement. The people, they say, the sunnah is decisive over the Qur'an. He said, I don't find it in myself to say it. Like, I find this... Like, it said, it's not... It's not like he's saying it's wrong, but I find it like, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit like it's a, quite a brash statement. It's quite a, okay, you know, it's like quite a big statement. He said, but rather the Sunnah explains the Quran. He says, The Sunnah gives the tafsir of the Quran and it informs us about the Quran. And it explains things in the Qur'an that we didn't understand. So Imam Ahmad used to choose a softer way of, of saying the, uh, the same thing. And I'll finish with a quote of Imam al-Shafi'i. Uh, Rahimahullah ta'ala. That he said regarding the ayah. And the ayah is in uh, Surah Al-Imran, ayah number 164. لَقَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah has indeed bestowed His grace upon the believers when He sent from them a messenger from among themselves who recited to them His ayat and purified them and taught them the book and the hikmah, the book and the wisdom. Even though before it they were in manifest error. Al-Imam shafii said, Allah mentioned the book and this is the Qur'an. And he mentioned the hikmah. And I heard the one that I am happy with or the people I am happy with from the people of knowledge of the Qur'an say the hikmah is the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Because the Qur'an is dhikr. And after the dhikr is mentioned the hikmah. And the remembrance of Allah Azza wa is a gift from Him to His servants by teaching them the book and the hikmah. So it is not permissible, and Allah knows best, to say that the hikmah is anything other than the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it continues. But this is the the gist of the quote from Al-Imam al shafii Rahimahullah Ta'ala. We're going to be continuing over the next few weeks Talking on this topic uh, Talking about the status of the sunnah And the efforts that were made to preserve the sunnah And how the sunnah was recorded Across the different generations Inshallah ta'ala And this was just like a, an introduction And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shahadu anna ilaha itta astaghfiruka wa atubu